Welcome to this very special episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon, where we are going to revisit a Bon Jovi interview that I did back in 2001, uh, celebrating 19 years of John Bon Jovi. So, uh, Alan, uh, as we say in Montreal, bonjour. How are you? A little warm today, but alive and kicking. But alive and kicking, yes. Yeah. So so let me tell you this story about this Bon Jovi interview, because it, it, it is one of the most fascinating stories, and and we'll tie it into bands using backing tracks and lip-syncing. You'll see, it'll, it'll all come together in a nice little puzzle. But uh, years and years ago, um, Bon Jovi released an album called One Wild Night which was a live album that everybody was waiting for. When is Bon Jovi going to have a live album? When is Def Leppard going to have a live album? Oh, my God. And then they put it out, but instead of capturing one show, they captured a half dozen shows around the world, and then they stitched them all together as one package. And uh, the band was, was on the road, you know, the Crush album. They were, it was in this era, and they were on the road, and they were coming to, to Canada. And the uh, rep from Universal said to me, hey, Mitch, want an interview with the band? And I said, yeah, of course I'd like an interview with the band. And, and the band was coming to uh, Ottawa to play the whatever the, the arena was there called, because that arena changes names more than I change socks. It's been the Corel Center and the Canadian Tire Center and the Scotia Center and the, 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 the Tim Hortons Center. Anyway. So I drive out to whatever the venue was called at the time, and they tell me to get there super, super, super early in the day. So I got there at about, I don't know, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, maybe 3 o'clock. And I am waiting to meet the band. And, and you know, Ottawa, God forbid that they put the parking lot next to the venue. So it's, it's, even that is, is, a, is a cluster, you know. Anyway, I, I find my way to this media gate, and, and they call ahead, and they said, What are you doing here, young kid? You know, and I said, well, I'm here for the interview with Bon Jovi. And they, they, they call down and the lady comes out and she hands me a CD. And I go, oh, great. Can't wait to hear the new music. It's going to be fun. And I said, when are we going to interview them? She goes, no, no, that's the interview. And I was like, what? She goes, that's the interview. So she handed me a interview disc that comes with a cue sheet with 15 questions to ask. And 15 answers that are queued up by John, by Richie, by Dave, and by Tico. No band. And so, you know, at the time I was like, are you kidding me? I just drove out three hours so you could hand me a CD? Couldn't you have just sort of mailed it to me? But as I look back 19 years later, I find this fascinating and, and I find it hilarious and funny because now we talk about backing tracks and and our, our bands lip syncing and so on and so forth but even before bands gave you smoke and mirrors on stage record companies gave you smoke and mirrors at radio stations so some of you are going to hear this interview because we are going to we are going to perform it this is like uh, uh what was that uh war of the worlds or whatever this is going to be like a radio performance so we're going to do these questions me and alan we're going to do these answers and you'll be like, hey, I heard these answers back in 2001. It's like, yeah, because every DJ was given this CD. And so whether they were in Cincinnati or in Georgia or in London, England, they were like, hey, John, tell me about your new single. And then John would be like, oh, well, you know, we gave it to Richie. And Anyway, uh, Alan, 
you were part of management and part of the machine for a while. Um, what, what is your take on this? And by the way, this Bon Jovi one with these question and answers are not the only one I have. I have a bunch of these at home, including Phil Collins and, and a few others. Um, what's your take on this? First of all, I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate for the benefit of Mr. Jovi. But back in the day, there were some people that you didn't necessarily have a long time to assess or form an opinion of who were thrown up to you as uh, journalists and so on and so forth. And some of them were a little shit and they loved to play gotcha and be snide because being snide was a way of um, leveling themselves with the creative entities they were interviewing. And at one point, Axel demanded that we present every potential interviewer was basically a contract which gave him the right to have final say over the edit and so on and so forth. And to be perfectly honest, I was quite happy to employ that because it meant less people would be talking to Axel. Um, bless his heart, Axel would talk about Axel more than he would talk about Guns N' Roses. And in the early days, and you can go back and look at this, I never let Axel do an interview on his own. I always made sure that there was somebody with the band there, if not the entire band there. Um, and to keep uh, the interviewer intimidated a little bit, maybe, you know, try taking on four or five in one go, if you want to, if you want to be a wise ass. Um, but anyways, um, I can see from the artist's point of view that it's sometimes a pain in the ass to do the interviews. However, that said, I think it's incumbent on the management and the label and the artist to choose who you want to talk to and avoid the dumb, the dummies, the wise asses, the gotcha guys, you know, the snarky guys. And just, you know, brush them off and just talk to people who are going to give you an intelligent conversation. And to not allow a legitimate journalist the opportunity to develop a conversation with this subject, I think is anathema. And I think it's arrogant. And I think it's distant. And I think this is absolutely absurd. It, it is absurd. Now, to be fair, and, and, and also to uh, to uh, be on uh, Bon Jovi's side, they weren't the only one. And I don't know how much uh, responsibility lies on the band because, again, Phil Collins, them, uh, there, there are all kinds of other ones out there. And I, I can't remember which ones I have. But in 2000, 2001, 2003, 2004, when MP3s were coming in and the internet was coming in and YouTube was coming around, all these different things were happening. This was, I think, the record company's response. And they responded really badly on a whole bunch of stuff. You know, the CDs that, that had the, the, the protection so you couldn't uh, download it into your computer. The, uh, they, they had all kinds of things going on that were seemingly less successful, less fan-friendly. So... I don't know. Now, on the other on the other hand, I can understand if you're a little tiny radio station in I don't know South Minnesota, and you go, "We'll never get our guy with Bon Jovi," but now we've got this disc. We'll throw Tommy in in, in front of it. Tommy will, uh, you know, uh, the Morning Man. Tommy will do his little shtick, and we will get a 15 minute interview with Bon Jovi, and we'll be the heroes of 
uh, the town. And I'm assuming that the record company chose one station per market because otherwise that would be a whole new level of lunacy if five stations ran the exact same interview. I mean, that that would be a whole different thing. Um, Here's another thing I forgot to mention on this is I had uh, been contracted to write an article for a magazine with my interview, and I did. I went home, I listened to the interview, I transcribed the answers, and it appeared in a magazine as Mitch LaFon interviews Bon Jovi. Now, I didn't need to let the magazine know that, it made it look good that I had an interview with Bon Jovi. It is, if you want a mea culpa, the only, only ever time I've done that. So, did I lip sync my way through an interview? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know yeah. what? That that was first of all, I was it was a rock and a hard place. I had I had contracted and, and promised a, to deliver, which would have looked bad if I hadn't. And and second of all. There was no way around it. And and when the record company, and I'll keep saying this, gave me the Bon Jovi one, then I got a Phil Collins one, and then I got this one. It it was sort of standard. It's like, okay, well, this is the way we're going to do interviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's an, a control freak's action. And, you know, control freaks obviously have a certain healthy ego, if not a downright arrogance. And it's dismissive. Um, if you're going to do an interview, pick somebody that you think that you can have a decent conversation with and have the conversation because you know better than anybody because you've been doing this for a long time and you're very good at your craft. In the course of an interview and in the course of any conversation, there are moments when you can go left, right, up or down. And that's part of the beauty of a genuine interview. Um, you get the opportunity to come back with a question, come back with a third observation, and that's how an interview should be. This is like lip-syncing on stage. It's, there's nothing authentic about it. It's basically, if you want to ask my humble, moderately experienced opinion, it's fucking bullshit. Yeah, it is. It is, and and yet it's funny. So what we're gonna do is we'll read the questions. Well, I hear I I I hear tell that you have one more cassette that apparently you got from the BBC. Yes, this so is we the... can hear how it works. <laughs> yes, we will. We will. Uh, we will put our best BBC voices on for this one. So, so folks, you are gonna get this classic interview. Um, we are going to, this is 2020. We are going to read the questions in 2020, but these answers that you will hear are from this CD. It is John, Richie, Tico, and Dave. It is the real guys. Uh, but it is these prefabricated, uh, drops or bits or bumpers or whatever you want to call them. And <laughs> I mean, I can't believe we're going to do this, but why not? It's, it, it'll be entertaining. And just before we get to, uh, John and, and Richie. Hey, I'll tell you why we're, I'll tell you why we're going to do this, Mitch, is because we're both a little crazy from the heat. We're both a little crazy from cabin fever. So let's just have some fun. Yeah, we're just going to have some fun. And, and, and remind me at some point, by the way, to ask you about the Great White 
documentary from 2016 that was all over their social medias and seems to have fallen by the wayside. Uh, well, we'll we'll discuss that at some point, unless you want to do it right now. But I'm curious as to no, it's not relevant right now. Let's let's keep our heads in what we're doing right now. All right. So I will now keep in mind, folks. We are going to read the questions as they are printed on the cue sheet. And now we might put some, we may or may not add some voices to it, but we are going to read them straight. Uh, there are 15 of these with 15 answers. The The duration of the interview is 12 minutes. So uh, given our propensity to add to it, might be a little bit longer. But I will start with question number one, which is addressed to John Bon Jovi. Oh, this is the, by the way, the writing on this, on these questions is, is brilliant. <clears throat> John. This new single, One Wild Night 2001, sounds quite different to the version on the Crush album. <gasps> what did you do to it? Gave it to Richie and told him how a good time. <laughs> Basically. Um, we went back to the demo. No uh, we, he. <laughs> he, the Rick went back to the demo. Again, <laughs> and... Uh, uh, we just thought that the rhythm track had a little bit more life. And uh, we did some edits, and I redid some guitars. Uh, it was quite interesting. And uh, concurred that we, you know, we made a, a, an improvement on the song. So. Here at the BBC this afternoon, we're incredibly privileged to have uh, Mr. Bon Jovi with us by form of cassette. So let me put it in machine here, if I can get a tech to put it into the machine. And uh, off we jolly well go uh, and, and, and have a splendid conversation with Mr. Jovi. Uh, Mr. Jovi, can you tell us a bit about the video for One Wild Night? I mean, you know, is, is that referring to uh, maybe uh, a naughty tape that you got up to with... Uh, didn't Pamela Anderson have a career doing that sort of thing? Did you do that with Pamela? I'd be most interested. Or maybe it was a Miss Kitten, Miss Kitten who was with Whitesnake. I don't know. But please tell me, tell me all about your tape of One Wild Night. Uh, conceptually, yeah. But I mean, we're going to shoot it tomorrow. So we'll see what it's about. Uh, I just wanted to sort of take the piss out of Napster. So we came up with an idea called Hackster and had a kid coming in and instead of recording it and trading it, he's trying to get the video of it and put it on the internet to share with other fans and all the mishaps that happened to him seeing us perform in a club atmosphere, which would be, you know, something that people, the fans would want to share, like in a bootleg situation. But all the mishaps that happened to this, this guy, all the good and bad, uh, just a very fun, tongue-in-cheek kind of approach to the video. First time with a new director, Nancy Bard as well. Uh, did the Goo Goo Dolls, Veruca Salt, a bunch of rock stuff that first time we've ever worked with her. So we'll see how it goes tomorrow. John, Crush, terrific album by the way, has sold over 7 million units. That's right, we call these units. That's a pretty good endorsement of Bon Jovi in the 21st century, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we're very pleased with the success of Crush. People really like it, you know. Uh, a year ago, this time, we were right in this room doing the album cover. That's right. And who knew? You know, we didn't know. We thought we made a great record. I know. Oh, Dave knew. 
please. Don't I just didn't want to tell you. You know, we didn't know a year ago, <laughs> but we just thought we made a great record. And, uh, and we came back here to do the pictures today. And, you know, a lot of good memories of doing the pictures here. And it's nice to see that people like to crush as much as we do. Uh, we're here at the BBC again. And um, let me just get my papers in order here so that I don't get the wrong question asked. But uh, apparently it says here on my question sheet that um, people have been asking for a uh, Bon Jovi live record for years. Um, so why did you finally think that you should accede to people's demands in 2001? Was this really the right time to unleash a Jovi live record? Well, we're rather prolific, you know, Richie and I write a lot. So uh, there's never been a need from our point of view because we just continue to write. But I think that when it was posed to us this way that we've been around long enough now that the music has hit another generation of people. And um, <clears throat> we had toured last year and then I, I've just completed a new movie and now we're going to go back out on the road. So we haven't had any time to write or record new material and the, al the album's only eight, ten months old now. So, um, you know, it's, it's a little early to do a new record. But in, anyhow, the point is is that as this new generation found us for the first time, um, somebody suggested how were they going to find the other albums, all the records, you know, both as the band and solo records that we've all made, that um, the live album was a great way of introducing them to the past, you know, and showing them this great catalog of music and the reputation that the band has had live. People are going to like this live record. It's a, it's a really good record. Yeah, have, Very diverse. To have moments in time, you know. It's important. We forget sometimes, you know, it's like how long the band's been together, how many places we've been, experiences with fans. So to be able to, and we were talking about it today, just to be able to capsulize and see where song came from, where it was played, and how we felt about it on one record. I'm actually interested to listen to it. That's a great answer, John. And by the way, I just wanted to thank you for including two songs from the Toronto concert on November 27, 2000. It is nice as Canadians to have a couple of songs from our country on this. But let me turn over to Richie here for the next question. Uh, Richie, and by the way, you are very, very much missed in this band. Hopefully you'll come back soon. I guess when the payday is good enough. Would you say that the new album is a good revision of your career to date? I think that uh, it's a record that... I think that... A lot of people have never seen us. The people that have gone to our shows obviously have seen us that way. But uh, for, for new fans that might, uh, you know, take a look at this album in a different way, I think that it, it is a very, very, very high testosterone, high octane level of what, what, what we are alive. And that has been a big core of the band's existence throughout this year. I think that we've really relied on our live shows to transcend the trends in the music business through continents and countries and, you know, globally, all around the world. We've, we've, we've looked at it as a mainstay of our whole existence. We've been able to transcend all those trends and stuff because we've just went out and played live and turned the people on by doing that. So I think this is a, you know, example of that, you know. And uh, as far as a revision, you know, I'm not really sure about that. But uh, I think it's a good example of 
uh, a different side of what people know because we've never put out a live album before, almost in 18 years now. So this is a, a look, a look-see into that whole existence. Yeah, I think it exists on a bunch of levels, even for, for the fans that have seen us a bunch of times. Just to go back and listen to things from 85 and from, from all those different tours is, I know we had fun listening to it. So I think that's special besides the new fans. Mr. Jody, out of your huge repertoire, it must have been difficult to know, to choose which side of trousers to wear your repertoire. I mean, you know, to know which, oh, I'm getting muddled here in these, in these questions. To know which tracks to choose. How, how are the tracks chosen? And while we're at it, which side do you wear them on? Very difficult. Again, I had personally very little to do with it. Um, Obi O'Brien, who's worked on every record since 7800 Fahrenheit, uh, went through the vaults, put together a bunch of mixes. I guess he mixed about 23 or 24 things. And uh, he came down to Mexico where I was doing the latest movie and played me a bunch. Then I gave him some suggestions of a couple others. Because it's a, only a one-disc record, um, we were able to squeeze 15 songs on it. So there's a lot of hits. But we wanted to make, a, I guess, a, a sampling of the rock side and the uh, artistic side, you know. And, and so we included songs like Something to Believe in off the These Days record or two cover songs. Uh, because hey, all the hardcore fans that have ever seen us over the years know that We've always injected cover stuff, a cover song, you know, when we come to your town and, and, and it'll, it'll set the tone for what the show is, you know, uh, Rockin' in the Free World from Neil Young made this record. And when we did um, Wembley Stadium, it was the 10 year anniversary of Live Aid. So we did I Don't Like Mondays and we brought Bob Geldof out. Well, we used that on the live album. You know, that's something you're never going to hear ever again by anybody, no matter what happens. That was the moment in time. And we captured it and put that on the record as well. So, you know, it was, it was difficult to choose, but like I said, it, it, it tells the tale. The youth that uh, Runaway or In and Out of Love have from 85 uh, to the more mature musicianship of something to believe in to, like I said, the cover version. Fantastic answer, John. And by the way, I could see how difficult it can be to choose tracks for a live, uh, a live album. That's, that's very true. Very true. Um, yeah, but you know, uh, we're not hearing enough from Richie. So Richie, back to you. I bet each of you in the band has your favorite Bon Jovi songs. Did you, Richie, get all your favorite tracks on this album? This was meant to be um, a rock and roll record. That's, that, I think that's the side that we want to show, and I think that's the live, that, that was the essence of what the live thing is about. As John said, there's not that many ballads on the record. There aren't any. So you have yeah. to come see us live to see the ballads. Yeah. yeah. It's very hard. It was very hard. It was, it was virtually impossible. I, I would have liked to have had more, but I like everything that's on there. Uh, 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 yes, um, this is BBC with Mr. Jovi and Mr. Sam Borer and a couple of other fellas here, but I've forgotten their name already. Uh, you know, we do these interviews late at night, and uh, sometimes I have a couple before I do them, so you know, just bear with me. But, uh, you know, one thing that crossed my mind, did you reflect the different places you've played on in, in this record? Um, 
other copies of postcards from the places that you played that come with the package? Uh, did you find that certain atmospheres were different in different countries? Did you find, well, you tell me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is everywhere from uh, Japan to South Africa, England to Toronto to uh, New York, Germany. Germany uh, yeah, it's Japan it's, 16 uh, years. There, there's going to be, uh, yeah, I said Japan, but uh, yeah, it's, it's reflected and it'll be written down in the liner notes of where it was all. It's around the world. This was recorded around the world. Well, there you go, John. And, and by the way, I'm with you. Japan is a, is a fabulous place, which, by the way, I've never visited, but I hear it's a, it's a fabulous, fabulous place. Uh, now, uh, uh, Dave and Tico, don't worry. You will get your time. We, we will save a couple of questions for you at the end. But let's be honest. Let's talk to the star of the band, uh, John. Yeah, it's John. Uh, are you once again looking forward to getting back on the road? We're there We're now. Yes, we are here now. We're here. The road has come to us. No, this is it. We're yeah, we, I mean, I think we often say that uh, we get paid for traveling. The fun part is obviously the shows, and uh, I think that that's that's really what comes across. But you know, if there's if there's any drawback to it, is that we have to travel around the world, and it takes a lot of time. Uh, uh, yes, Mr. Cassette. I mean, Miss, Mr. Jovi. Uh, let me just turn the cassette around here a moment. Um, uh, Mr. Jovi, what can we look forward to on this 2001 tour? Um, how many people are going to be in the band, and uh, are you going to play any new music? Uh, do we get a free hat with the ticket? Um, what about a free T-shirt? In fact, uh, I wouldn't mind if you took me out for dinner after, after this interview, but uh, unfortunately, I don't think the cassette has got the wallet to cover it. Well, you know, I mean, anybody who's ever come to see the band knows that it's a great rock and roll show. It's, it's probably the finest rock and roll show on the road. Um, but if you saw the last tour and you want to compare it and come up with something different, I think it'll be a little more diverse. It'll be less singles and more album stuff, you know, and more catalog stuff and more, uh, you know, fun stuff. I, I think that what I, I personally found is like when we did the 95-96 tour, very similar to 2000-2001, that the, the, the first half is, okay, we have a new record, here's the new record, here's the new record. And then the second time around, it's sort of like the potpourri, you know, and take a little of this and a little of this and mix it all together and it smells good, you know. So that's what I think that this leg is going to be. Oh, that's a great answer, John. And uh, by the way, let us talk to some of the other members of the band here, Tico and Dave, who admittedly, admittedly, are really, really lucky to be in a band with you because otherwise, well, anyway, uh, Dave, yes, Dave, wake up. Come on, pay attention. Um, people love being able to be on stage during part of the show. Where did that idea come from in the pre-deluxe package <laughs> days of having people on stage with you? Yeah, the idea came out of uh, in, when we played Christmas shows, benefit shows in, in New Jersey. We had a bar up on stage and we brought people out there. And it was just a neat perspective to be on stage looking out. And then we brought that forward in, in for the tours and, and put bars on stage so you can stand up and look out and see what we see. 
Because you could, you could explain it as much as you want, but until you're actually sitting there and looking out at all the, at the, the massive amount of people, it's, uh, there's no words. And it's great looking over and looking people's eyeballs are sort of like that because they're just amazed by it. This is the BBC Home Service. Are we still on air? Um, uh, there's a gentleman here called Tico, and uh, he hasn't had a chance to say much. So, Tico, tell me, how do you keep your live shows fresh after 18 years on the road? How often do you get to the laundress, and is it a deodorant thing? Um, how do you manage? Every night's different. Every night's uh, it's a brand new experience. You know, it's a new audience. We play in a different place every night. It's just a good energy, and that comes from the people and comes from us. We change the sets every night. The songs themselves emulate differently every night. So I, I, that's the, the fun part of the tour. That's what we enjoy. That's what we love. Um, so that's why it's different. You know, we, you record the same song every night, and it'll, it'll have something different. And that's due to the energy that we have on stage and with our fans. Yeah, there's definitely a, uh, an openness to the energy of what happens into a room. Uh, John's whole style as the leader of our band is that there's a spontaneity involved in every set list and every evening. And also, as we've gone on through the years of our existence as a band, obviously, I think that, uh, you know, from one album to the next, I mean, now there's, you know, 10 records or something like that that we have to choose from. And luckily enough for us, there's lots of songs that takes a, take us through different periods. You know, we have a lot of uh, a different, different things to choose from. You know, there, there's a lot of different songs to choose from as we go. So it makes it interesting for the band and also the audience. Dave, your last answer was so good that I'm actually going to let you have a second question. I know, I know, that doesn't happen very often, but here we go. Question number two. I kind of feel like this is Jeopardy. Uh, Dave, how does it feel to have two sold-out shows at Giant Stadium in your home state of New Jersey. What did he say? What did he I'm say? Sorry. What did, I couldn't I hear my, that. I got my hearings going I a little bit. What was that? that? I definitely can't hear that. Good. That was two, wasn't it, I heard? <laughs> two. <laughs> it was great. It was I mean, very that's, good. As a matter of fact, all, all the shows were very, so happy with what's going on. And, uh, you know, it's a good feeling to know that, that people love you. You know, it makes us uh, work even harder to go out there and see them. But it's a good way to finish the tour, I'm going to tell you. Uh, yes, and uh, here we are on the uh, BBC light service, and we're still on air. Uh, and, and my next question is, what's next for Mr. Jovi after that? I mean, you know, once you've played a couple of shows, what do you do? A quick shower and off to a good restaurant? Or uh, do you just go home and go to sleep and, like a good boy and not mess with all those nasty girls. Sleep. <laughs> Going to bed. That's a big-ass party after that. That's right. <laughs> and then shut it down. Yeah, that's it. That's as far as the trucks go. You know, there's a lot of opportunities if we wanted to, and the kind of mistakes we'd make in the old days would be, okay, keep going, keep going. There's People want to see it. They'll pay money for it. Go make money. No more. Now this is about having fun, the trucks stop in Jersey, and that's that's it, you know? Two nights at the stadium. No less. You know, go down the beach for August. Oh, John, that is great that you're going to go get some sleep, because I honestly thought you didn't sleep until you'd be dead, but apparently 
Sleep is still a priority. Anyway, uh, Tico, you get the final say on this. Uh, anything else that you would want to say to all the millions of fans all over the world? Tico, take it away. We dedicate this live album to you guys. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. There we go. <laughs> that is the most insane thing we've ever done, but... Ever wonder what Vince Neil would sound like if he was a black belt in Taekwondo? <laughs> what about what his favorite McDonald's menu item is? Just hold the pickles. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFond.